Dirty Bird Podcast contains foul language and is not appropriate for young fledglings. Listener discretion is advised. Our intro music is brought to you by Ricky Pistone, aka Dick Piston. And our outro music is brought to you by the Sidewalk Slammers. Check them out wherever you get your music. Are you looking for a podcast today? With ornithology and humor you crave? Well, I know all these guys and it's birds they like. It's Dirty Bird. Yeah, they're just a couple guys who really like birds. It's Dirty Bird. Yeah, they're pretty dirty, but they really like birds. Hello, and welcome to Dirty Bird Podcast, a podcast that is serious about birds, but nothing else. I'm John, and today I'm joined by our recurring co-host, Timmy. Hey, Dirty Birdies. Good to be back with y'all. Yeah, Timmy, uh, you're basically the co-host now. You've been on the most episodes. (laughs) You were on the first episode, Bard Owls. Well, it's always a pleasure to be on. I remember those first episodes recording in uh, West Virginia, and then... Yeah, we discussed barred owls over Zoom as well, and so it's always a great time. Happy to be here. Yep, and now we're recording in my garage in my new house at Chicks Beach in Virginia. Um, Spent a little beach day yesterday, saw some terns, saw some gulls, a cormorant. We did. Caught a couple croaker. Yeah. Good times. It was. Great evening on the beach. Awesome spot down here, and uh, yeah, nice to see some... Some different bird action on the water uh, over on the Chesapeake Bay, and it's a little bit different than, you know, what I'm typically used to seeing, just the the backyard birds, and so it's great to just change things up a little bit. And we had some fun catching some fish, like John said. It's always good. Yeah. Well, today we have a very cool episode planned. Uh, We'll be talking about what's in your bird seed. Is it native seeds? Where do those seeds come from? Is bird seed even good for birds in general? Um, Also, I have nine questions to try to stump Tim with today. (laughs) These are multiple choice questions featuring three real bird names and one fake one. And your job, Tim, will be to guess which name I made up. Um, Thanks to Kevin for submitting this idea. Kevin was featured on the Vultures episode of Dirty Bird, telling some stories about uh, an encounter with a turkey vulture. And he suggested that I do a little quiz like this, so... It's a great idea. Hopefully I'm up for the challenge. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. And as a little incentive, Tim, if you get uh, five questions right, I have some Dirty Bird stickers right here Oh yeah, that I will give you. That's very nice. They're pretty cool. Um, TJ, our artist friend, designed them. Um, also, listeners, you can get one or two of these stickers mailed to you for free. All you have to do is write a review on Apple Podcasts. And then just contact me via email, dirtybirdpodcast at gmail.com, or Instagram at dirtybirdpodcast. I mean, this is, these are spiffy little stickers, Tim, aren't They're they? They're nice, yeah. Really nice looking. I mean, very cool logo and a good quality sticker. Yeah, it's solid. Um, someone who took me up on this offer, actually, to write a review and, and got some free stickers is the Dirty Bird super fan, Jay Pogo. Hey, Jay Pogo. Yep, and Jay Pogo also recently sent me this voice memo. 
Uh, you love Jay Pogo's messages, don't you, Tim? He's always very, uh, very enthusiastic. Great fan of the show, and it's uh, it's always a pleasure to hear. Yeah, so let's um, listen to Jay Pogo's voice memo. So he sent me this after I've been talking with him. He took a really cool picture of a ruby crown kinglet, and um, so you'll hear him mention that at the beginning. He accidentally calls it a ruby throated kinglet. I think he got mm. it crossed with the hummingbird. Right. <laughs> um, but he tells some stories about birding and how sometimes wildlife photographers don't have birds' best interest at heart. They just want to get that picture for the gram. Yeah. So he tells a story about that. It's a little broken up because he had to send it in multiple messages, but let's take a listen. Happy Friday, baby. Morning, sir. You know what's funny? The ruby throated. When I found that out, I was like, oh, that sucks. But I remember walking up to one a while ago, and I wasn't close. Like, I wasn't doing nothing, but another bird was fucking pissing it off. And it had its little thing up, and I caught a couple of shots, and I was like, what? That's rarefied, yeah? I'm like, that doesn't really happen. So when I found out, I was like, aww. I don't want to do that, but I got two stories for you, and it's uh, about a snowy owl. This shit's going to cut off in like a minute, so I'll try to be quick. All right, this one day, this like old lady and this old dude were walking into dunes in Jones Beach, this uh, park near me, uh, and uh, I'm yelling at him, uh, excuse me, you don't see the signs? It says, don't walk on dunes, and they stood there with this face like, yeah, but so whenever you get into an altercation, side note, and someone goes, yeah, but you won the conversation. No matter what, no matter what the topic is, if they go, yeah, but stop, you're right. You're wrong, <laughs> whatever, right? So they're giving me this look like whatever, right? So then a lot of people come and, you know, a couple of people get pissed off. You know, I befriended a couple of people because of that, but I'm a little bit loose. So, you know. I was very stern when I said it. I didn't curse, but I was very stern. When I was speaking about it, that's when the loose lips started freaking coming in and, you know, calling them all types of names or whatever. But the the cops ended up coming, like the park cops. And a lot of photographers kind of like just disappeared. Like, oh, I can't get that shot. And I'm like, you're willing to break the rules, like, by trying to flush down this bird. And, they oh, they flushed down a couple of times. And it's like... For what? So you can get that sh- I met a few photographers that were like that, that, you know, they were on, like, the elite tip. Like, I'm cool. Like, listen, you got a camera, I got a camera. We're taking the same picture of a bird. Like, why go closer to the fucking thing? Like, it, it when you read the directions for, like, a, a, a power tool, right? You read the directions, and then it tells you how not to get hurt. When I started... Not to say that I'm better than anybody by any means, but when I started, I looked at the rules. When I Audubon Society, you know, look up the research of, you know, birds and stuff like that, you know, what, where it started, all that shit. And, um, you know, it says don't flush them, don't use flashlights, you know, you know, because you, a flash, because you, you know, a whole bunch of things. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, you guys are old enough to know better, but you need that shot. And then there was this one day right different guy going into the dunes him and his fucking oh i want to say this c word so bad but let me let me stop walking into dunes we're yelling at him yelling at him yelling at him 
And usually I take pictures of these clowns, right? So I have a mental note of what these, you know, guys look like, right? So, or, or ladies, whatever. Um, and <laughs> I take a picture of this guy after I'm yelling at him. He turned around, looked at me, and I didn't notice it at the time. When I went home and looked at the picture, he looked like Hellboy. And he woke up every morning eating young babies. Like, I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, this guy's going to like murder me. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say something. Yeah, but you shouldn't be flushing these birds. And it was a snowy owl and it just came. So I'm like, way to get used to us humans. Have a good day, baby. All right, that was the illustrious Jabe Hogo. <laughs> What'd you think of that, Tim? Quite the story. <laughs> he is a storyteller indeed, but it's, um, yeah, definitely a good point to bring up. You, you know, I don't have too much experience myself with uh, trying to photograph birds, uh, but I definitely, you know, understand the, the principle that you don't want to try to alter their behavior or, you know, cause any uh, any unnatural, uh, goings on in their habitat just for the purpose of, uh, of getting a, a photograph, how yeah. you'd like it. So yeah, a good point to bring up there. It's not worth your 300 likes on Instagram to just ruin a bird's day by exactly. flushing it out of a tree or yeah. shining a flashlight. So yeah, Jay Pogo, we agree with you here. You know, absolutely. Yep. Keep taking down the Hellboy <laughs> <laughs> birders photographers that are flushing those snow cows. <laughs> um, also, I want to give a thanks to Angel, um, who sent me an email. Angel is an avian biologist and very politely corrected me on some things I've gotten wrong on the show. I'm by no means a bird expert, so I'm always super appreciative of people who correct me. Um, first of all, in my ruffed grouse episode, I misspoke a little bit. Um, I said, rough grouse chicks are altrical. In the bird world, altrical species are those that are blind and helpless at birth. Think of like little robin babies, you know, like they're mm -hmm. naked and they just poke their mouths open and just wait for their parents to, to feed them and right. help them. But rough grouse chicks are not altrical. Um, they are precochial, which means that they are like little ducklings or like little chicks that mm. they hatch out of their eggs and they're immediately walking around, pecking at the ground for food. Okay. Um, so thanks, Angel, for that correction. Also... Angel answered a question that I posed um, way back in my episode Bird Bods, uh, where I was talking with my cousin Catherine about different bird adaptations. And we were talking about birds' amazing digestive systems. And I got a little confused about the number of cecums that birds have. Hmm. Um, in humans, the cecum is where the small intestine and the large intestine connect. It's like a pouch. It's where your appendix is. And I got confused because I kept seeing stuff about like multiple cecum. So Angel told me that birds actually have two cecums, um, and they're very important for water reabsorption um, and also for immunological function. They have like some type of tonsil in there, hmm. like so. It might be similar to like how our appendix is probably important for immunological stuff. Yeah. But anyway, thanks so much, Angel, for having the guts to send me that information. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a final shout out to Dak. Um, Dak has helped me to get some access to articles I've needed for research uh, for some of my episodes. And Dak sent me this awesome bird word. Um, he wants to credit his friend Alexandra for originally showing him this word. Timmy, can you guess what the word shite poke refers to? Shite poke. Oh. <laughs> shite poke. I don't even know if I have a guess for that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Try something. <laughs> um, 
Something to do with poking shite. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a shite poke is defined as a bird's habit of defecating when disturbed. And it is particularly common in the heron species, such as the green heron. And this leads to them being colloquially called shite pokes in some areas. Wow. So, yeah, if you ever disturb a bird and see it squeeze out a little turd as it flies away, <laughs> that's a shite poke. Now you know why. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, before we begin, I also just want to comment on the podcast in general. I think this will be our 31st episode. Wow. So, yeah, gone past 30 episodes in a little, like a year and a half. Yeah. Um, Great milestones. Yeah. Tim, uh, I don't know, do you have a favorite moment or favorite episode in the show? I think just the summation of everything coming together and, you know, being there from the the start of when John came up with this great idea of just presenting, you know, some facts about ornithology in a more digestible way for, for a lot of people. And, you know, from recording episodes to getting to listen to all those that John's put a lot of work into, it's just, it's been a great ride and, um... You know, definitely, definitely enjoyed every episode. So, yeah, glad to see it continue. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, Tim's definitely been the always co-hosting. He's always listening, giving me feedback. Yeah, he's definitely, I said Jay Pogo's a super fan, but you're the real super (laughs) fan, man. (laughs) Um, And as a uh, super fan, what what don't you like about the show? Or what do you think was a, a weak point? What can we improve on? I don't know, I... I feel like I have never really had all that much uh, constructive criticism. There are great elements that I, you know, that I really enjoy, and then, uh, you know, I I appreciate all the uh, support that people are giving John, feedback, and everything. And um, you know, I want to see it continue to increase in popularity and get yeah, you know, get so. the feedback and everything. So <laughs> well, come uh, on, there's got to be an episode you in. didn't like, though. Like I, uh, the Song Sparrow episode, I got feedback that people didn't like that one. That one, yeah, I mean, I, and there wasn't anything in particular that I, that I have to, you know, (laughs) feedback that I have to offer on it. There are definitely some episodes that I just, you know, I enjoy the, uh, the subject matter of a little bit more than others, but, uh, but I think it's great that you do, you know, a variety of species and it's, you know, it's awesome to, you know, you have your really interesting birds and, uh, you know, have like the. The heron is obviously going to be a very different uh, as far as, you know, describing the the different elements of its behavior and everything than, you know, like a song sparrow, like a, yeah. a common backyard bird. I think um, I need but, to do less of the common birds because, yeah, I don't know. I'll choose something cool. The next one I do will be some cool, cool ass bird. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. sure. And people, let me know if there's a bird you want me to do. Let me know and I'll, and I'll do it. You know, I'll do all the research. All right, so let's talk about bird seed. What the hell is in your bird seed? You know, is it good for the birds, bad for the birds? Is it, are you just introducing invasive species, you know? Um, But before we begin, uh, why don't we do a question, Tim? Sounds good. So, Tim, your first question. So, which of these bird names is made up? The hairy-breasted barbet, the ruby-coated oven bird, the sapphire-vented puffleg, or the bearded helmet crest? If you need me to repeat them, I can. If you could repeat the first two for me. Hairy-breasted barbet, ruby-coated oven bird, sapphire-vented puffleg, and bearded helmet crest. I think I'm going to have to go with the ruby-coated oven bird. You are correct, sir. Yes. <laughs> so the hairy-breasted barbet, it's a bird that lives in the rainforests of Africa. 
Um, sapphire vented puff leg. It's actually a hummingbird that's in the rainforest of South America. Oh, okay. And the bearded helmet crest is also a hummingbird in South America. It lives in high altitude grasslands. Interesting. Yeah, so good job. They all sounded kind of like very, you know, somewhat <laughs> tropical, like colorful species. I, the oven bird is what threw me a little bit. <laughs> is, is there such species as an oven bird? Yeah, yeah. They actually live uh, here on the East Coast. Really? Yeah, okay. they're, um, they're related to thrushes and stuff. Oh, they're, okay. they're a really wow. cool bird. Yeah, you, they um, live in the forest and sing, and they have, um, they do like a song. It's like, dee, 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 dee. it like goes higher. Um, and then they have like an orange like crest on top of their head. Oh, okay. Yes, wow. they're, they're a cool bird. Look out for them, man. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so let's talk about bird seed. Here's some just general facts uh, about bird seed in 2016. Birdseed sales totaled four billion in the U.S. Wow. and was purchased by an estimated fifty-seven to sixty million people. So that's around like a third of all households in the U.S. feed birds. Yeah, that's even greater of a number than I realized. I, I know that it's definitely increased in popularity over the past year. Yeah, with that pandemic too. Right. Yeah, people. Right. Dead birds, because all they're doing is just looking out their windows. Exactly. What I want to know is where the hell are those sixty million people, and why aren't they listening to Dirty yeah, Bird podcast? Exactly. Because obviously they like birds. <laughs> so come on. <laughs> Give it a listen and get those reviews in, people. Come yeah, on. I want sixty million reviews. <laughs> that means I need to order sixty million yeah. stickers. <laughs> um, the most recognizable seed in your bird seed is probably sunflower seed. Sunflowers are actually in the daisy family. And what country do you think they're native to? Or continent? Mm, I'm going to guess Europe. No, the America. Really? Yeah, they're native. And there's over 70 species of them. Um, they, you know, started off in the wild, but then they were domesticated by Native Americans, uh, actually in the eastern U.S. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's a, it's a crop that comes from the eastern U.S. Uh, indigenously. Uh, it quickly spread amongst Native people. Um, archaeological evidence shows sunflowers turning up in Mexico as early as 4,000 years ago. In the wild, uh, sunflowers are plants with like lots of branches and lots of flowers with little small seeds and small flowers. So basically they were domesticated to have a single large flower that produces large seeds. Humans like these bigger seeds because, you know, it's more bang for your buck. Mm -hmm. It takes less work to open the shell and, you know, get that little juicy seed. Um, Birds also likely recognize the advantages of these domesticated sunflowers. And they probably feasted on these Native American sunflower fields like the same way they do at the feeder. So when you put out your feeder with sunflower seeds in it, it kind of resembles... The way Native Americans used to have fields of sunflowers in in the eastern U.S. and everything. So, yeah, yeah, so that kind of makes me feel better about putting them out. And, you know, they'll fall out of the feeder and, like, while, and, like, you know, sunflowers will grow. And, like, um, you know, it's always kind of cool when you're making a little sunflower garden right there, too. Definitely. There's two types of sunflower seeds you usually see in the mix for birds. There's black oil and then striped sunflower. Most mixes have black oil sunflower because it has a thin shell and it's easier for most birds to crack open. As the name implies, it has high oil content, so that provides a lot of fat and energy for birds. Um, However, the shells are so thin that some invasive species like house sparrows and starlings can also crack them open and eat them. Mm -hmm. 
if you want to avoid these birds being able to eat your sunflower seeds, you can try striped sunflower. It has a thicker shell and a larger seed. Striped sunflower is like if you go to the gas station and buy a pack of sunflower seeds, you know, salted sunflower seeds to eat. It's going to be striped sunflower, not, oh, okay. not black oil. Gotcha. Yeah. I think the black oil are like kind of bitter too. Yeah. So. Yeah, those striped sunflower seeds, only native birds like cardinals, grosbeaks, or woodpeckers can easily crack open the shells and mm. eat them. You can also get hold sunflower seeds. Um, they're sometimes called sunflower hearts. And the shell is removed from them, so it makes it easier for birds to um, eat them. And mm. then there's less waste piled up underneath your feeder. Sometimes, like, there's just tons of shells, right, you know. Right. Um, but they quickly rot. So you kind of got to change it out a lot. Gotcha. Also, some birds will preferentially select sunflower seeds uh, with the husk over ones that are shelled, especially if they're planning on storing them for winter. So like nuthatches, chickadees, or titmice, you'll usually see them go down, grab a sunflower seed that has the shell on it, and go fly off to a tree somewhere and, and store it in the bark or something mm. for, for winter. And they've actually proved this in studies, too, that those birds preferentially choose uh, sunflower seeds with the shell on it versus ones that are already husked. Oh, really? Yeah, which mm. is kind of cool. I mean, you'd think they'd want the ones that are already shelled. Right. But like, no, they're thinking ahead. Yeah. Know? They're planning. That's awesome. Also, another very common bird seed component, especially in cheap seed that you buy, is millet. Mm -hmm. So at first, I kind of hated this seed because so millet is like the little balls you'll see. Like you'll see two types of them in bird seed. It's usually in like the very cheap bird seed that you buy. There's red and there's golden millet. They're like these tiny red, white, or yellow seed balls. Um, I, I really used to not like it because I, I always saw house sparrows eating this and like invasive species and stuff and it's the cheap stuff so mm -hmm. it can't be good right but like actually now that I've done more research I, I kind of like it hmm. um, it's an ancient grass crop that was uh, domesticated independently in Asia India and Africa multiple times so like early humans like knew that this was a good crop um, the first evidence for millet uh, cultivation comes from East Asia as far back as 10,000 years ago it has a wide range of uses as food for humans, livestock, and of course our bird seed. Ducks especially seem to like it. Hmm. Um, however, many birds at feeders do not like it. From what I've noticed, especially in North America, birds hate it and shovel it out of the way in the feeder in order to get to like good stuff like peanuts or, mm -hmm. or like I see the tit mice do this all the time. They land at the feeder and they'll just shovel the millet out of the way until they get to a peanut. And, mm. you know, they're just spilling the millet all yeah. over the ground. Yeah. House sparrows, like I said, seem to love it, though. Right. And it's the cheaper seed. So I've noticed... When I use it, more house sparrows will come to my feeder. When I don't use it, like, the house sparrows are a little less. But ground-feeding birds love it, too. Like, native species, like, you know, towhees and mourning doves. Hmm. You'll see them pecking at the ground and picking up the millet. Oh, okay. It doesn't contain the amino acid lysine. Um, so that's kind of a, I don't know, one point against it, I guess. Interesting, uh, Jurassic Park. Like one of the points in Jurassic Park is they breed the dinosaurs so that they're uh, they can't synthesize lysine, and so they have to get lysine from the diet, and that's supposed to be the control mechanism. Uh, if the dinosaurs escape, 
like it was kind of lost in the movies. You hear them mention it every once in a while, yeah. but like it's a big deal in the books. Right. Like, and and you know, life finds a way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the dinosaurs evolved to be able to or they eat plants that are rich in lysine uh, or okay. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just thought it was funny, you know, birds, dinosaurs, and yeah. lysine pops up. Right. <laughs> um, but millet does have good fat, starch, and protein content in it. It's not just a food for birds either. It's an ancient grain that was cultivated and consumed for centuries, uh, especially in Asia and Africa. So, like, it's still used in diets in in those continents today. Mm -hmm. And honestly, we should really consider incorporating this grain into our diets in the U.S. too. It's gluten-free. It's pretty environmentally friendly from the research I've done. Um, however, it's kind of seen as just bird food, uh, you know, like duck food in the Western world. So... I don't know, maybe we can overcome that and uh, and have a new grain in our diet. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, I'm tempted to go over to the bird seed right now and try a little uh, millet crunch. <laughs> a little millet. <laughs> have you ever been pouring bird seed and you look at it and you're kind of like, oh, that kind of looks good. Yeah, it doesn't look too bad. Yeah. Especially the like peanut heavy and the yeah. sunflower seed heavy mixes. And I'm like, wow, like, hmm. it can be kind of tasty. <laughs> All right, so that was a lot of bird seed info. Um, how about we do another question? Sounds good. All right, Tim. Which one of these is not a real bird? A, muskwing. B, frogmouth. C, shoebill. D, horned screamer. Hmm. So I definitely know the uh, frogmouth and shoebill. Oh. But between the other two. Muskwing and horned screamer? <laughs> I'm going to go with Horn Screamer because that one just sounds off. You're wrong! Oh. Muskwing is the <laughs> one I made up. <laughs> so a Horned Screamer is native to South America. The name is pretty descriptive. Its call is just a loud echoing call. It has a horn projecting on its head that isn't made of feathers. It's actually made of cartilage. So they're the unicorns of the bird world. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The horn is kind of soft. Um, it often breaks off, and they don't use it as a weapon, you know? It's just kind of like some decorative, like, mating thing. However, they do have bone spurs on their wings that are so sharp that they can lodge into other birds' throats and kill them. Wow. Yeah. it's quite the defense mechanism. Yeah. So the horn doesn't do shit, but yeah. <laughs> they got these freaking bone spurs wow. that will just slice your throat. The frog mouth... Uh, you know, you know the frog mouth they, you said? Yeah, they're an odd looking one. <laughs> yeah, they're a type of night jar. So they're these nocturnal birds that eat bugs. And they just have these giant mouths to mm -hmm. swallow up mosquitoes and stuff flying around at night. And they're native to India. And then the shoebill. Yeah, the shoebill famously, I think it was in Planet Earth or yeah, something. Yeah. yeah, it's a stork-like bird native to the swamps of East Africa. It looks like a Muppet. Like, yeah. <laughs> it is a super derpy bird. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually kind of distantly related with the, the heron line. I kind of talk about it a little bit in my heron episode. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go on to talk about another seed. Uh, so this one is red milo, also called sorghum. It's in the grass family of plants. Uh, the widely spread domesticated sorghum bicolor was first domesticated in Africa. It is also used as filler in a lot of bird seeds. It's bigger and bulkier than millet. It's easily confused with red millet. So, like, 
you'll see in birdseed, especially cheap birdseed, you'll see those like little red balls. Mm-hmm. So s- some of those red balls, there's red millet, which we just talked about. Millet like isn't that bad, you know. This Milo is usually used as kind of filler because it's bigger than it's a bigger ball than the red millet is. Hmm. Um, but the way to tell them apart apparently is you look at it and ask, is it smaller than a grain of rice? Um, apparently, Milo is bigger than a grain of rice, and millet is smaller than a grain of rice. Hmm. So some sources say uh, sorghum is bad when you look, um, and it's really super mixed on the information here. All About Birds uh, actually recommends it over millet. They say that it's better for birds. It can be eaten more frequently. Um, But then I found a study that compared their fat, fiber, and protein content. And honestly, um, yeah, white millet looked better than than sorghum did. Um, Sorghum has 2% fat, 2% fiber, 11% protein. White millet, though, is like better on the fat, 4% fat, better on the fiber, 6% fiber, and the same amount of protein, 11%. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think it's it's probably fine for them. Right. And uh, this is also another one that's most often eaten by ground-feeding birds, your towhees, mm-hmm. your morning doves, that kind of stuff. All right. And then another one you'll see in your bird seed is cracked corn. Mm-hmm. Um, this is liked a lot by ground feeding birds. Um, I notice uh, on my platform feeder that jays, crows, doves will come to it. Um, also, turkeys will come and eat cracked corn. Uh-huh. Um, grouse, um, ducks also love cracked corn. Um, you, you know where corn was domesticated, right? That was North America. <laughs> yes, it was. Yep. Um, it has a very interesting domestication history. I won't go into full detail here. It was painstakingly domesticated from like these tiny little seeded wild grasses in Mexico about uh, 8,700 years ago. Hmm. Um, I mean, I always thought that corn probably came from, you know, when you go get Chinese food and there's that little like oh, yeah. little corn. Mini corn. <laughs> <laughs> that apparently like isn't at all related to it. Really? It was, yeah, it was domesticated from like, and you look at pictures of its like closest uh corn's like closest wild relative and it's literally just like a stalk of grass with like those little you know grass seeds Mm. on it and so native americans over thousands of years just kept breeding bigger and bigger grass seed i guess and yeah and then they developed corn um corn surprisingly has relatively low nutritional content compared to other seeds it has the same fat and fiber content as that uh sorghum we talked about um, but it has slightly less protein content. Its protein content is only at 8% versus mm. sorghum we talked about. It was 11%. Right. So, yeah, I mean, corn's kind of everywhere. I guess it's cheap, so it's probably kind of used as some filler. But, um, yeah, I guess it's not as good as some of the some of the other seeds. Mm-hmm. And since a J crack corn and I don't care, how about <laughs> we do two questions, Tim? Let's do it. This is your daily double. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Pete, you're back. All right, so these next two have a bit of an anatomical theme. Okay. All right. So, A, Andean cock of the rock. B, <laughs> dick sizzle. C, Himalayan snowcock. <laughs> D, Italian dick beak. Hmm. I'm going to say the Italian dick beak. Ah, yes, you're right. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I figured you had heard of the cock of the rock and the dick sizzle. Yeah. I thought Himalayan snow cock might get yeah. you, though. 
<laughs> I was trying to rely on the because uh, I know the like American woodcock, so I thought that ah. maybe it was similar nomenclature to that. <laughs> yeah, Italian dick beak. That's uh, that's Ricky Pisto. Right yeah. <laughs> Shout out Ricky. Shout out Ricky. Um, yeah. So the Andean cock of the rock. Um, this is like a famous bird. It looks pretty funny. Check it out. Um, it only lives in the Andean cloud forest of South America. And it is the national bird of Peru. Oh, wow. The dick sissel is a seed-eating bird of the American Midwest. And the Himalayan snowcock, it's in the pheasant family. And as its name implies, it's found in the Himalayas. It's often hunted. And there's actually an introduced population of Himalayan snowcocks in the Rocky Mountains of Nevada. Wow. So if you're in Nevada, you can go see a Himalayan snowcock for yourself. That's awesome. (laughs) I had no idea they were there. Yep. Yeah, I think they were introduced for hunting. Hmm. All right, so here's your next. So let's see, you've gotten two out of three. So you just need two, two more to win these lovely Dirty Bird stickers. Yeah. So, all right, here's your next anatomically themed bird question. Okay. A, masked booby. B, fluffy backed tit babbler. C, nipple mouthed flycatcher. D, agile tit tyrant. Tit tyrant. That's an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need me to say those again? They're kind of long names. Yeah, yeah, if you could. Okay. A. Masked booby. B. Fluffy backed tit babbler. <laughs> C. Nipple mouthed flycatcher. <laughs> D. The agile tit tyrant. Uh, I think I'm going to go with a nipple mouthed flycatcher. Damn it, Tim. Is yes. Right again? Yep. Uh, yes. <laughs> Four out of five. Some good guessing here because <laughs> that's all it is. <laughs> so, the masked booby, um, people know boobies. Uh, they're mm-hmm. a large seabird. The term booby is thought to come from Spanish slang bobo, which means stupid. And boobies were known for landing on sailing ships back in like, you know, the 16, 17, 1800s, where. Um. Hungry sailors would very quickly gobble those guys right. up. <laughs> so they just called them, you know, stupid birds for landing on their ship and mm-hmm. letting the sailors eat them. Uh, fluffy-backed tit babbler. It's an old-world warbler, and it's native to the tropical forests of East Asia. The agile tit tyrant is a flycatcher that lives in the Andes Mountains of South America. Hmm. Yeah. Well, good job, Tim. Those are some great species. <laughs> very, very good, uh, good name choices for the multiple choices. It definitely makes it interesting. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, so let's keep talking about bird seed here. Um, uh, we'll talk about Niger seed now. So Niger seed, you'll see people they it's these really small little black seeds. Mm. People usually hang like sock feeders, where it's like. Literally like a sock with little openings, and the seeds are so small they kind of poke out, hmm. and then the birds will land on it and eat them. Um, they're a favorite seed for finches. Niger is a general term, actually, for a group of seeds of the African daisy. The word Niger is derived from Nigeria, actually. Hmm. Um, you'll also hear them called thistle seeds, um, but actually the African daisy is not related to thistle plants. So like thistle plants in America, you'll see them have similar looking seeds and like native uh, birds to America, like goldfinches and stuff like they love eating thistle seeds. So the, uh, since those seeds are similar to niger seeds, they also will, you know, come and eat your niger seeds at your feeder too. Mm. So um, so the African daisy is not related to the thistle plant, though. The thistle plant is actually in the daisy slash sunflower family. 
Nitrous seeds are grown in Africa, uh, but then they're heated to sterilize them and prevent germination when they're shipped over to other parts of the world. Oh, okay. So you don't have to worry about those nitrous seeds falling in your yard and mm-hmm. growing, um, you know, some niger plants or something. Right. Um, yeah, and like I have noticed some other plants will germinate. I don't know if the milo and sorghum will, but... Um, definitely the sunflowers germinate mm-hmm. when they land on the ground, but I mean, that's fine. They're native and right, everything. Right. I will talk about another plant that I definitely have noticed that, uh, that germinates if the birds drop it on the ground. So finches tend to gobble up niger seed in spring and fall when they're molting. I've noticed if I put them out in wi- the socks in winter or in summer, like really they don't get eaten very much. But when the birds are molting, uh, they gobble these guys up to help them grow their feathers and colors and everything. Hmm. However, since these seeds are shipped all the way from Africa and they have to be heated and sterilized, they can be pretty pricey when you buy them. And also they mold very easily if they're left out too long. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I use the sock feeder and like I usually don't fill the whole sock. I just put some in it. Mm -hmm. And like if it's been out for more than a week or if it's rained, then I just dump the seeds out, you know, because like they get moldy and gross and that can help spread disease. Yeah, yeah. But you do have to replace these seeds pretty often so that they don't get moldy. And since they're expensive, you know, this can be, I don't know, a lot of upkeep. But if you like finches, then... I mean, it's worth it. Like, goldfinches are pretty awesome to watch. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Niger seeds have good fat content. So that's why you often see birds eating them in the spring and the fall when they're about to molt. Like, they need those extra calories. They're about to generate a bunch of feathers. And, you know, they need all the fat they can get. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that's the Niger seed. Um, And then the next one I'll talk about is safflower seeds. Um, safflower is a thistle-like plant that was first domesticated by early human civilizations in Mesopotamia. So it's been around for a while. It's used for food and also to make red-colored dye. It was so important to early humans that actually even King Tut was buried with a garland of dried safflowers. Wow. Yeah. It's a royal plant. Yeah. The seeds look like all-white sunflower seeds. And only birds with thick bills um, can crack them open. So like finches. um, I've also noticed northern cardinals love safflower seeds. And the good thing about safflower seeds is that since, you know, the birds need thick bills to crack them open, uh, starlings hate them, house sparrows hate them, Mm -hmm. and also squirrels hate them. So (laughs) if you have a problem with squirrels at your feeder, you can do one or two things. You can... Put some safflower seeds because the squirrels definitely don't want to eat them. Hmm. Or, uh, you know, you can use Tim and I's trick, which is to mix your seed with some hot sauce. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the squirrels and the chipmunks, the moment they taste that hot sauce, they don't like it. Yeah. yeah. Birds don't have uh, capsaicin sensors in their, in their mouth, so they can't taste hot. So, you know, they're fine with some hot sauce. But right. Yeah, mammals, nah. <laughs> and do you know actually why... Uh, peppers produce capsaicin i don't um so birds have like pretty short digestive tracts like you know they eat something it moves through and then they shit it out Mm -hmm. um mammals we have these long digestive tracts a lot of mammals will sometimes like ferment you know think about like cows you Mm -hmm. know like they'll ferment the grass or whatever that they eat in them. So like basically they render any seeds they eat useless. Mm -hmm. Whereas birds, you know, they eat a berry or something. It has a seed in it. And like they shit it out so quick that they help 
the seed's still good and they spread it. Right. Um, that's actually why they can eat a lot of poisonous berries oh, that, okay. that us humans can't eat, you mm. know? Yeah. Like there's a, and like there's berries that have like arsenic in it or something. And, uh, they can eat them because they shit it out so quick that they don't absorb the arsenic. Oh, wow. Yeah. So anyway, with peppers, it's pretty crazy. Peppers made a capsaicin, which only mammals have like the sensors to taste, but birds don't because they want birds to eat them. Yeah. Because a bird is going to eat that seed, fly off somewhere, shit it out, and help spread the plant. Wow. Whereas they don't want a mammal eating it and just ruining the seed. Yeah. Then it's just useless. Exactly. So yeah, that's That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really interesting (laughs) stuff. I know. Um, I do have a story about safflower seeds also. (laughs) I'll I'll tell. Yeah, Um, So, uh... I was at Walmart in Elkins, West Virginia, which is always a pretty crazy place for people watching. But (laughs) anyway, I was over at the bird section and there was like a lady in a a mobility scooter or something, some old lady, and she's like trying to reach a bag. And so, you know, I help her and put it in her cart and she starts talking to me and says something about the squirrel, the blackbirds that's what she said she's like the blackbirds keep coming and i i figure she's talking about starlings and she doesn't like them so i say oh well you should get this safflower seed because you know the starlings won't want to eat it well then some other old ladies that are around the birding section are eavesdropping because it's a small town and everyone pokes their head in everybody's business (laughs) and so they start coming around they hear me explaining bird seed to this old lady and so then now they start asking me all these (laughs) questions and they're like well what if what if i want the finches or what and like i tell them oh buy the niger seed you know (laughs) well what if i want the pretty cardinals and you know and so i'm like like answering all these questions at walmart about bird seed (laughs) so that's why I made this episode, too. So, old ladies of Walmart, just listen to this. You won't have to bug me when yeah. I'm out shopping. There you go. <laughs> um, you want to do another question? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So, these are some, like, one-word bird names. Okay. All right. A. Duber. B. Smoo. C. Cute. D. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh, I think I know the cute. Uh, what were the A and B choices? A, Duber. B, Smoo. C, Coot. D, Uh-Oh. I'm going to say Smoo. Ah, you got it wrong. Oh, Fuck man. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Duber was the one. Duber. That was... <laughs> uh. I was worried you might see through that one. <laughs> All right. So you're, what, four for six? Yep. All right. So the smoo is actually a species of duck similar to mergansers. Oh, okay. And it lives up in the cold taigas of northern Europe. Gotcha. Coot. I, I figured you'd know that one, but coot is just such a fun word to yeah. say that I had to include it. Um, it's a duck-like bird also, and there's tons of species of mm-hmm. them. And actually, the uh-oh, it's spelled O-U. It's a Hawaiian bird in the honeycreeper family. Oh, okay. um, it's mostly fruit eating. Hmm. Uh, kind of some bad news on this one, though. It's critically endangered and probably extinct. It oh, was man. last seen in 1989. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, we'll still hold out hope for it, just like we are at the ivory build. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully that... Yeah, hopefully that ivory build's still out there. And the uh-oh. Yeah. Maybe they're hanging out on an 
island of <laughs> critically endangered birds yeah, exactly. somewhere. <laughs> All right, so our next seed is not really a seed, a legume, the peanut. Ah. Peanuts are highly prized at bird feeders. And you'll notice because the bird seeds that have peanuts in them are definitely the pricier ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're often picked first by birds. They're high in fat, protein, carbohydrates. They have lots of minerals in them. The wild peanut uh, originated, where do you think it originated? I'm going to guess North America. South America. South America. You're close. You're just one... Panamanian land bridge yeah. away. <laughs> um, so South America is where it originated. There's first evidence of its domestication as far back as 7,600 years ago in wow. Peru. Peru. The Peruvian peanut. Hey. Yeah. I mean, I'm always surprised when I look at what crops actually you know, originated in North and South America. I mean, you got corn. You got potatoes. You got peanuts. Yeah. Sunflowers. Yeah. Squash. Like... Pumpkins, yep. all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, you think about how different our uh, cuisine would be without them. Yeah. But, sure. um, yeah, peanuts, birds love them. Like, woodpeckers especially really like them. You often can't get woodpeckers to come around to your feeder unless mm-hmm. you have some peanuts. Yeah. I mean, the tit mice freaking love these things. They go and grab them. They hold them in their uh, little feet and then hammer at them with their bill mm-hmm. to pick off little slices. Yeah. Peanuts, peanuts, peanuts. Yeah. Unfortunately, the fucking squirrels love them too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I hate I put I put out bird seed, and the squirrels literally pick through it and pull all the peanuts yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So that's really the big seeds that uh, that I wanted to talk about. But there's also some other seeds you'll see mixed in. So honorable mention: pumpkin seeds, pistachios, rape seed, and canary seed might be mixed in. These offer a wide variety of food choices for birds. Uh, They bring the best diversity of species to your feeder. And it's also healthiest for birds to have choice of a lot of different seed options from your feeder. Mm -hmm. So like the cheap stuff you'll notice, it's just like either millet or milo, um, aka sorghum. Um, And then maybe there'll be some sunflowers mixed in too. Mm -hmm. But like when you do like the fruit and nut mix, you know, like... It'll be peanuts, it'll be sunflowers, it'll have like stuff like the pumpkin seeds, the pistachios, rapeseed, canary mm-hmm. seed, and then, you know, like dried prunes or raisins or right. something like that. I didn't realize pistachios were occasionally mixed in there. That I would definitely eat a handful of. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen them in there before. I'm like, I'm hungry. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not feeding that to the birds. Right. Like, yeah, eat a little pistachio yeah. out of the bird seed and it's, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, different birds prefer different food sources at different times of the year. You know, it all depends on what they're going through. Like I said, like niger seeds, they finches really like that when they're molting, you mm-hmm. know. So like at different times of the year, you'll notice at your feeder, if you offer a variety of stuff, then they'll pick and choose what they want depending on what they need. Like they know, they know like that seed is has a lot of fat. I need fat right now. I'm storing up for winter. Or like they're going into spring and they're about to molt and put on new feathers and they're like oh i need you know this certain vitamin or, or amino acid mm-hmm. so that i can synthesize the colorful proteins so it's kind of cool to watch when you're watching at your feet or also look what they're selecting and what they're eating and just because i don't know the cardinal likes to eat uh, the safflower in the summer or something doesn't mean it always wants safflower right. like in the winter time it might want something else um, also consider offering stuff like suet or fruit at your feeder. Um, I've had some great experiences like 
if like an orange is going bad or something or an apple looks gross and I don't want it, I'll chop it up and throw it on my platform feeder mm-hmm. or in my suet cage. And like I've had like some fruit loving birds, you know, Orioles or like um, gross beaks come around and just be pecking at that orange yeah. and, and loving it. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Also nectar for hummingbirds too. Mm-hmm. You know, that's always a good thing to put out. I do want to mention though that seed can be a source of disease. You really need to be cleaning your feeders mm-hmm. like at least once a month, just some bleach and soap. It's not too hard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, change out your seed too. Don't mm-hmm. let it get wet. Don't let it just sit there and mold. I saw one study that found 17% of wild bird seed purchased in Texas um, contained aflatoxin. So this is like a toxin. It can be uh, bad for humans too, but especially bad for birds. And like it can kind of generate inside of the of just like that it's a mold like inside of that dry grain you know mm-hmm. um and most of these samples contained corn 83 percent of aflatoxin contaminated samples had corn in them so like corn feed might be more prone to aflatoxin you know spreading disease yeah. and like as we talk corn's not super good for birds anyway so like i don't know use it at your own discretion right um, in general, also, I kind of want to say that, like, bird feeders, like, you know, it's nice that they bring them to your yard, but, like, the birds don't really need them. Yeah. Like, they're getting almost all their nutrients from their environment. Really, like, put out a bird bath. Like, honestly, water, especially mm-hmm. in the wintertime, is, like, the biggest thing that's actually going to help birds. Yeah. Or plant native plants. Listen to my episode with Bill Wallauer. We talk about this a lot. But, um, you know, like your bird feeder is probably not going to make or break it for that bird, you know. Um, Seeds on general are protein deficient, um, and this lack of protein can become significant, especially in the wintertime when protein-rich insects are absent. So, like, like you'll notice, especially in the wintertime, seeds that don't have a lot of protein, like that red milo, cracked corn, the birds won't really touch them because... They don't have a lot of protein. That's why those fucking peanuts are like so prized, especially in wintertime. Like the birds are like, I need protein. There's no fucking bugs. Does suet have somewhat high protein content? Oh, yeah. Is that good for the winter or is that mostly just fat? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, suet's, you know, usually made from like beef fat and stuff. So. Yeah, it, it is a lot of fat, but like it definitely has protein in it. Usually it's gotcha. like has peanut butter mixed into it and oh, stuff. Okay. And folks, also you can make inexpensive suet at home if you cook bacon, save that bacon grease and mix in some bird seed and peanut butter with it, stick it in the freezer, bam, you got a suet cake. Oh, yeah. flour too to hold it all together. But yeah, that's a cheap way to do it. Um and uh even though I said, you know, like millet, milo, like birds don't really like them in the wintertime, some birds have to eat them like mm-hmm. morning doves. Um, morning doves, they have those little tiny thin bills. Mm-hmm. So they're really good at cracking open small seeds. So you'll see them just gobbling down those little tiny seed balls, you know, the cheap seeds. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, you help the morning doves with that, you know. Like I said, different types of seed help different types of birds. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, in general, are bird feeders good or bad for birds? There's a lot of discussion on this because um, some birding societies actually advocate not putting out feeders. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting subject. And one of the main things that I wanted to ask you about is, you know, whether you had uh, you had thoughts on 
whether they're actually harming the the life cycle of a bird just because it's obviously not uh, a natural uh, feeding cycle just to you know have all this readily available seed and, and food to eat so I was curious about that yeah I mean the big thing about it is uh, I mean it does there's been studies on whether it supports like uh, invasive species and stuff I'll talk about that a bit but the big thing with it is that People don't clean their feeders, mm. and so then it spreads disease. Right. And, like, it's a congregating point, too. Like, yeah. a bunch of birds come at once, so if one bird is diseased, it can easily spread it to other birds. So, right. like, really, like, I mean, I put out feeders, but I'm yeah. also, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty responsible with them. I clean yeah. them and everything like that. Definitely. But, like, I mean, there's tons of people that don't, you know? Yeah. And so, like, yeah, that they actually might be hurting more than they're helping. Yeah. Um, I read this paper. It was a roundtable discussion with four veterinarians and wildlife conservation specialists. It was published in the Journal of Avian Medicine and Surgery. Um, and it seemed to conclude that bird feeders help keep common birds common while having a negative impact on rare or endangered species. Hmm. So that's really not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. While bird feeders can contribute to the spread of disease, um, they can also help disease birds survive, actually. So, you know, it's it's a very, this paper, everything's very mixed. Like, yes, they spread disease, but maybe a bird's sick and it can't forage as easily. Mm-hmm. So then it comes to a feeder and eats and maybe it'll help overcome its disease because it's able to, you know, replenish its, its fat preserves and yeah. stuff. Hmm. Um, yeah, especially birds that are withering away from mycoplasma. Um, so mycoplasma, it's like related to tuberculosis. There's like bird tuberculosis basically. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, classic tuberculosis, you're like coughing up blood and like you're withering away mm-hmm. to a skeleton. And so birds that have mycoplasma, they need to eat a lot of food to combat the disease. Yeah. So feeders might actually help them, mm-hmm. but it also might spread it. Right, right. Um in this thing I read, they referenced some studies that show a positive impact of feeders on birds' physical fitness and reproductive success. Birds with feeder access will have like larger clutch sizes and like, you know, they'll kind of be stronger uh, in general. Mm. Um, but I mean, really, the bird feeder disease is awful. That mycoplasma it gets transmitted bird to bird and the fomites will actually stick on the feeder. And so birds will stick their head in. And get those fomites on them and get mycoplasma. Oh, man. Uh, salmonella um, also can be spread, um, especially from dirty bird bass or bird shit on your feeder. Mm-hmm. So, like, clean your feeder, replace yeah. your, you know, your uh, water. Um, there's a lot of other nasty diseases like colibacillosis, giardia, and trichomoniasis. They also can get fungal infections like aspergillosis from moldy seed. And uh, that aflatoxin we were talking about earlier, mm. that's produced by aspergillus. So don't let your seed mold yeah. or you're going to harm the birds. However, they did conclude that the most positive impact of bird feeders is helping to turn a casual bird observer into an activist for bird conservation. So like your feeder probably isn't really helping birds and maybe hurting them if you're not cleaning it. Mm-hmm. But overall, they were like, didn't want to come out against bird feeders because Someone puts up a bird feeder, they start seeing birds, and then they want to help preserve, you know, natural areas. And, like, they see something about an endangered bird, and they're like, oh, like, we need to help this bird, you know, because, like, they're into birds. So, Mm -hmm. And I guess I'll say, like, I think bird feeders probably got me way more into birds, you know? It was cool seeing them, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
But yeah, it's not just enough to be a bird fan. Um, you got to work towards conservation. You know, do the do the easy things. Keep your cat indoors for one thing. Uh, you know, donate to a bird conservation organization. Vote for legislation that'll help preserve natural areas. Um, put up a, a bluebird box or a birdhouse. Uh, listen to Dirty Bird Podcast yeah. and, and tell your friends. <laughs> but uh, there needs to be more research on this subject too and like really determine, I don't know, what we need to do uh, with birdseed. Obviously, the companies that produce birdseed and, and bird feeders, you know, they want to keep that stuff going. Right. You know, they don't want people to come out that it's bad for yeah. the birds. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I don't know, Tim, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's... Like I said, was one of the main things that I was curious about, and uh, kind of as I expected, it's there's definitely two uh, two sides to it, and it's not a clear clear outcome as to whether it's a positive or negative effect overall on birds. But this has just been awesome to you know get the the breakdown of the different types of feed that you can offer, and just you know how how different types of seed help different species, and yeah, like John said, the important thing is. Just, you know, really doing your research and being active where it's going to help. Uh, so, you know, focusing on conservation and uh, also getting involved with organizations that, you know, have things set up to, to help bird species. Yep, for sure. Um, I talked a lot about starlings and house sparrows um, earlier and, you know, they're invasive species in, in America and, and over a lot of the world, too. And like... Bird feeders have been shown that, you know, they disproportionately benefit invasive species. Uh, there was a study in Auckland, New Zealand that showed that starlings, house sparrows, monk parakeets, um, they were kind of able to become established in cities because of bird feeders that were available. Uh. And the shitty thing, too, is like even if you take away the bird feeders, like they, they did this where they would take away the bird feeders and see like, oh, well, those invasive species die off. No, they just move away into yeah. like the countryside or something, right. and maybe there'll be some die off, but like they'll find other food sources. Yeah, and so I don't know. Like maybe it's good to just have the bird feeders to just keep them in the urban yeah. setting. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, but uh, I don't know. They'll still probably spread out anyway with excess population and yeah. stuff. So yeah. yeah, I guess if you're in an area with invasive bird species, like. A lot of starlings, a lot of house sparrows coming around, a lot of monk parakeets. Um, then try to use just like maybe sunflower seeds, safflower seeds, mm -hmm. stuff that the starlings, house sparrows, monk, monk parakeets can't use, but some of our native birds uh, can. Mm -hmm. So I got one last bird seed fact, and then we'll wrap up with some more questions. I think you're four for six. Four for six, I think. Yeah, so yeah. we got three more questions. And if Timmy just gets one of those right, he'll get some Dirty Bird stickers. Yeah. And remember, dear listener, you can get some too. Just write a review on Apple Podcast, or just help spread the Dirty Bird love. Tell a friend, share some stuff on social media, send me an email, you know, message me on Instagram. All right, one last fact. Prior to the development of prosthetics and breast reconstruction surgery, it was common for women who had undergone mastectomies for breast surgery to use a bag of birdseed as a prosthesis. Interesting. Yeah. I had no idea. So yeah, who knew that birdseed was involved in breast cancer? Yeah, and uh, yeah, recovering from breast cancer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, Tim. That's all I got on Birdseed. Right. Did I answer all your questions? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was awesome just to get a breakdown of, you know, like I said, the different types and how the different species uh, can use the, you know, they benefit from the different types of seeds. So I definitely feel a lot better informed on, uh, on you know, how to properly go about maintaining a feeder. And uh, I hope all the listeners do, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, check out my episode where I talk with the wildlife um, conservationist, uh, a rehabilitator, and also I talk with a veterinarian at a wildlife rehab center, and they have tons of good advice, too, on how you can best help birds, best help maintain a feeder, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. All right, well, let's get these three questions done. Um, this is, <laughs> I'm probably going to have to repeat these answer choices cause they're, they're very, very long. <laughs> um, although I don't know, I think that you'll probably get this answer pretty easily, but okay. A, the oligenius hemingspingus, <laughs> the Southern blue eared glossy starling, the tinkling cysticola. The one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple partridge eater. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me to go with D. <laughs> yes, the one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple partridge eater is not a real bird. <laughs> but the oligenius hemispingus, um, it means, oligenius means rich colored or covered in oil. Um it's fitting because this is like a little dull colored tanager in South America that looks like it was just dipped in oil or something. <laughs> um, the southern blue-eared glossy starling is a actually common woodland bird in East Africa. Oh, okay. And the tinkling cysticola, it's a grassland bird um, and is in Southern Africa. Hmm. Known for its tinkling. Known for its tinkling. <laughs> I don't know if I'll count that one, Tim. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we'll see. Get, I'll have to get one of these last two. If yes, you got to get one of these last. Oh, uh-huh. actually, actually, I have three more. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, I misspoke. Um, okay. So yeah, you got even more chances. Yeah. <laughs> so all right, here we go. A, Bobo, T. Wait. <laughs> I'm from A to T. B. Potu. C. Wisi. D. Kakapo. Do you need me to say them again? If you could say A and B again. A. Bobo. B. Potu. C. Wisi. D. Kakapo. I'm going to try B, the Potu. No, no. no. Uh. <laughs> so the potu is a nightjar bird that lives in South America. Uh. The bobo or, or boo-boo, I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> it's a group of uh, bushrike birds that are native to Africa. And the kakapo, um, have you heard of this one before? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's a large, flightless, nocturnal parrot oh, okay. that is native to New Zealand. It's critically endangered due to introduced predators like cats, ferrets, stoats. Hmm. There's actually only 204 left in the wild. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's struggling, but yeah. it's a very cool bird. I mean, a flightless parrot. Like, that's yeah, awesome. That's cool. <laughs> so here's your next one, Tim. Okay. A. Common Shag. B. Cory Bustard. C. Oozlefinch. D. Go Away Bird. 
Hmm. I'm going to say Uselfinch because I don't know if that's an actual species. I know it's <laughs> yes. a brewer. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so okay. you're right. You're right. So you won the stickers. Yeah, so a common shag is a real bird. It's a uh, species of cormorant native to Europe and Asia. Hmm. The Cory Bustard, it's a large ground-dwelling bird. Um, it's 4.5 feet tall and weighs as much as 40 pounds, Wow! but they're still able to fly, wow. which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Is. The go away bird is native to the tropics of Africa. It's named that because it makes a nasally call that sounds like it's saying go away. Hmm. Yeah. So pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. And Ouzelfinch actually has a, a cool history. It's a famous fictional bird. Um, it was made up mm. by a drunk army captain at Fort Monroe, Virginia, oh, hey. which is right near where we are here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, his name was Captain Merriam, and he reported seeing a large-eyed bird flying backwards. All the other drunk officers thought that this was hilarious, and soon joke reports of sightings of this bird uh, kept getting reported on the base. Wow. <laughs> um, eventually, the joke took on such a life of its own that it became incorporated into the insignia for the 42nd Field Artillery. And uh, Finch kind of pops up in a lot of places in popular culture now. There's a brewery, as you said, yeah. named after it on Fort Monroe today. They got good beer, good bands. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a that's a Oozle Finch. <laughs> wow. I had no idea. I had that backstory. That's awesome. Yep. Right, right close by. <laughs> All right. And just for fun, you know, since you already won, but here's the last question. All right. So which one of these birds is fake? The banana quit? The orange peeling tanager? The sulfur rumped flycatcher and the pink footed puffback. I'm gonna say the orange peeling tanager. Yes, you're right. Nice. Bonus points. You get an extra sticker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a banana quit is in the tanager family. It's found in Central and South America. The sulfur rumped flycatcher. It's a small little yellow flycatcher in Central America. It's called sulfur rumped because it has a little pale yellow rump mm -hmm. that it likes to show off. And the pink-footed puffback. It's a bush shrike, and it's found in the mountainous forests of Cameroon, Uganda, and Angola. Mm. So, yeah, so we learned about bird seed. We learned some cool bird names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, some funny names and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it was a fun episode. Yeah, that was. It was great to, you know have a really helpful informative uh you know details about bird feeders and i think the the questions is you know sprinkled throughout were a lot of fun that was a great idea <laughs> thanks tim yeah thanks for recording with me um yeah like i said please people help spread the love help this podcast grow um i'm starting residency soon and so this may be the last episode for a while um let me know what episodes you want to hear. Um, I'm thinking I might do one on like extinct birds. There's some pretty cool birds that have like gone extinct. You know, these giant like eagles and stuff and like crazy woodpeckers and, um, uh, you know, just cool stuff. So that's an idea. Or if there's a species you really like, let me know, folks. Spread the love. Yeah. Get some stickers. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. And as always, stay dirty, fellow birdies. Dirty Bird Podcast is brought to you by me, John, and our rotating panel of guests and co-hosts. Thanks everyone for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Our logo is made by TJ Ranoski. 
with inspiration from my beautiful fiance, Lauren. Love you, babe, even though you don't listen to the show. Our intro music is by Ricky Pistone, and our outro is by the Sidewalk Slammers. Find them wherever you get your music. Send listener mail to dirtybirdpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at dirtybirdpodcast. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, you name it, Dirty Bird's been there. track drive into Brooklyn ain't never coming back Tim's on the ground in the concrete jungle I might get into a little wrong